Welcome to the Telford Minster podcast. Thank you for joining us and listening along. Our vision is to make Jesus known in Telford. We hope that your attention is grabbed by Jesus today and what he is doing in your life. We are continuing our autumn term series, Pray, Prayers of the People, taking time to look at some of the powerful prayers throughout the Bible, their lasting effects on God's people, and how God is responding to and fulfilling those prayers and promises in our lives today. We hope this talk fills you up, and for more like this, subscribe to the podcast. exciting to be continuing our series today. We're looking at prayers of the people and uh, today we're looking at some of the times when prayers are really bleak. What do we do when things are bleak around us? And we're looking at a prayer of Elijah. Now I don't know about you but I have not always found prayer easy to do. I go through seasons. I know it's something I'm supposed to do. I know it's really good for me. Um, I know it helps me in some way and it helps my relationship with God. And I know it can have a positive impact on my life and the life of those around me. But I'm kind of hardwired to get stuff done. I like being busy. I like cracking on with things, fixing things, sorting out problems. And I can find it really hard to sit still and wait for God, listen to God and spend time even speaking to him sometimes. Sometimes it can feel a little bit counterintuitive to step back from the demands of our day and sit and ignore the noise of all the other things going on and just sit and wait and listen and say, no, first I'm going to pray today. I don't know if any of you guys can relate to that. If, If that's you, I get it. I have been there, I'm constantly going through seasons of loving spending time praying, but also finding it a struggle as well. But I know that as I spend time praying, my days go better. There's no two ways about it. When I spend time with God, my days go better. And I realise that God is actually interested in spending time with me. God, think about this, could have used any means at all to accomplish his purposes in the world. Yet, he wants to listen to my rambling little prayers towards him. I mean, I just still find that mind-boggling. I've been a Christian most of my life, but he is actually interested in listening to my rambles. He could have used any means to accomplish things in Telford, in our workplaces, in our homes, and in our lives. And yet he just waits for those rambling little prayers that we can offer. He wants them to play a part. And I realise that that must mean that if God chooses to wait on, to listen to and to hear my prayers, God must care even more about knowing me and being in relationship with me than he does about getting stuff done. He actually really deeply cares about relationship with each one of us. And I realise that prayer isn't a nice to have, a kind of extra side on the sub sandwich of life, really holy people. It's essential for each one of us. It's an unmissable opportunity and we have no hope of being the people that God has called us to be or made us to be without prayer. I'm just going to ask you a question. What if the key to everything you are facing right now in your life, both the wonderful things and the incredibly hard things, what if the key to facing those things is prayer? 
What if the most significant thing that you did with your whole life wasn't a task that you completed or an achievement or a success that you did, but a prayer that you whispered? And that's what we're going to look at today. How even a whispering prayer of despair is a prayer God is waiting to hear. Um, I'm going to need a volunteer. Um, somebody who's quite good at cooking. Have I got any volunteers who might want to help me out at all? There's a few. I might have to pick someone if everyone just shakes their heads at me. You're a good cook. Do you want to come up? Come up. Thank you so much. You might have to ask Matt to uh, shuffle along a bit or uh, fabulous. So first things first, you're going to need to just wash your hands with a hand sanitizer. And then you're going to be making our bread for us. There's a recipe here. I'll check in with you. Um, Oh, okay. Go get your glasses. We don't want you not to follow the recipe. Um, And if you've got a mask, that would be brilliant if you could put that on while you're making it. So, a little bit of context first for today's passage. Uh, Jem's going to read it to us, um, but it just needs a bit of context. So, we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 19 today, but if you've got a Bible, flick back to 1 Kings 18, because we need this bit of context to help us understand 19, or it won't make sense. So, we've got this king called King Ahab who married a queen from another country. Um, King Ahab was the king in Israel at the time, and the queen was called Jezebel. And when he married her, she brought all her gods with her, and her agenda was to convert the kingdom of Israel to complete devotion to her gods, not to God. Then enters Elijah. He's a prophet um, who predicted a drought and was fed by ravens in the wilderness. And he was a bold man who stood up to Ahab and Jezebel. And in 1 Kings 18, we find the story of the second mountain. This is not the mountain of God, which we'll hear about later. And Elijah issues, issues a challenge to Jezebel, the queen, and says that all the prophets of her gods, Baal and Asherah, I think that's how you say that, Probably not, but we'll go with that. Um, He issues a a challenge to them and tells them to meet him on this mountain, Mount Carmel, for a showdown. And he instructs them to make an altar with an animal sacrifice. And he says, whichever God is true, whether it's your God or my God, is the one that's going to bring fire and burn up the sacrifice. So you've got this showdown happening on the mountain You've got 450 prophets of Baal who send their whole day crying out to their gods. They're dancing, they're chanting. It even says that they cut themselves. They were so desperate for their gods to do something about this. And Elijah taunts them. He's like, "Hmm, your God's sleeping. Why don't you shout louder? And they get nothing. Nothing happens to their altar. And then it's Elijah's turn, and he's so confident that God's going to deliver that he douses the altar and the wood with loads of water. And, you know, that's not what you do when you're trying to make a fire, is it? And God shows up, and a great fire burns up. The sacrifice, the altar, and all the water is gone. And Elijah uh, takes all the prophets about and destroys them and tells Ahab to look out over the horizon, Ahab the king, to see a storm cloud forming. Now remember, there's been a big drought, a three-year drought, and a huge rain cloud appears, and this drought of three years is broken. Now if this were a movie, the climax would be like, this would be amazing, this would be the end of the movie, we'd be like, yes, here goes God, and he defeats the enemies, 
and we'd have some victory music, and everyone would cheer, and it would be wonderful. At this point, Elijah's probably feeling pretty good. He's on a bit of a high. He's like, yeah, God, you got me. This is amazing. You are good. Life makes sense for him at this point, and he's done everything that he's supposed to do. But then it happens. At the end of chapter 18, have a look. It says, a messenger comes to him. And imagine them going up to him and going, excuse me, sir, while he's just doing his kind of victory dance. Um, Jezebel, she uh, sends a message. Um, Well, she's kind of pretty angry. She's pretty mad. And um, she's vowed to kill you, actually, at all costs. Now, that's a bit of a plot turn in the movie, isn't it? I mean, what, that's not how it's supposed to go. This was the point where the nation was supposed to turn to God and worship him, and the wicked queen was overthrown. So, you know that song that goes, See that girl, watch her sing, dig in the dancing queen. What I used to hear when I was a little girl were not quite those words. I used to hear, see that girl, watch her scream, kick in the dancing queen. That's what I used to hear. And I feel like sometimes as Christians, we get the words of the song a bit wrong, don't we? Sometimes we think we know the answers, but actually God's saying something different. And I feel like this is something that we've been saying as Christians throughout our lives. Um, We kind of think we know all the words to the song but God's got something more for us and we think we need to to be a good Christian we need to have it all together we need to know everything we need to be smiling and happy and jumping for joy all the time and I remember when I was a teenager when I was first becoming a Christian and I um, went to some Christian festivals that I'd attended and I watched people on the stage and I just looked at them and thought wow you must be amazing. You must have it all together. You must have no struggles in your life. You must have a perfect life because you are a perfect Christian. And one day, somebody got on one of those stages and they opened up about their life and they shared the struggles and the challenges in their marriage with their children being unwell, with hard times they'd walk through. And it just opened up my world. And I realized that I too had a place that despite my struggles, God might want to use me. And in Elijah's story, as we follow his story in 1 Kings here, we see massive highs as we saw on Mount Carmel. And we see massive lows as we heard in today's reading. And I think it's something we can all relate to. We don't need to know the words of the song all the time. And I think at this point, Elijah probably struggled with his mental health. So I just want you to know, if you are here today and you struggle with mental illness, or you've wrestled through depression, or if you've thought about not wanting to be here, I want you to know that we see you This is a totally safe place, and we're here for you, and we love you. You don't have to have it all together to be welcomed here and to be a follower of Jesus. It is absolutely okay not to be okay. 
And I know for some of you, maybe even walking in a building like this kind of raises your anxiety levels or your heartbeat. Or maybe those of you listening to the podcast because you couldn't come along today. You are seen here and you're welcome here. We love you and we care about you. And it's a safe place. It is okay not to be okay. And when I was researching for this talk, um, I found that there was a church preacher and leader called Charles Spurgeon. He's a well-known preacher and leader, and he really publicly wrestled with depression. And here's something he wrote about depression. Fits of depression come over the most of us, usually cheerful as we may be, we're at intervals cast down. The strong are not always vigorous. The wise are not always ready. The brave are not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. It happens to the most of us. It happens to Elijah. One in four people in England will suffer with a mental health problem of some sort each year. And all the kind of research has said that during the uh, pandemic that has been on the rise. So this afternoon, what I want to do is firstly, break the silence. And the second thing is to bring some hope as God brings the hope. And I'm convinced that God has designed us, each one of us, for life in all its fullness. And that's not easy with life's highs and life's lows, but it's possible. And if you feel like you're at the end of your rope today, when you're listening to this, if you're catching up online or here in the building... I know that the words that I say aren't going to change any of you, but I believe that the Spirit of God is here and living in each one of us and at work here today. And I'm praying that you'll get a word of hope today. What looking at Elijah's life and struggle with depression shows us is we are holistic beings, aren't we? We're not just people that have thoughts in our, in our heads we're physical, we're spiritual, we're emotional, and we're cognitive. And all of those things matter to God. They all matter. And we've got to learn how to fight for that wholeness in all of us, for life in all its fullness. And in our reading today, we see a few things that Elijah runs up against, don't we? Um, so let's look again. If you've got your Bibles, have a look at 1 Kings 19, and we're having a look at verse 3 to 4. How's it going? I realise I forgot to bring a rolling pin, but I can see that you have a very beautifully hand-stretched uh, loaf there. Very good. <laughs> very talkative today. <laughs> so, 1 Kings 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. Um, when he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. This I picked from my garden. Apparently, looks a bit like a broom bush. It might not be an exact one, but they're kind of straggly things that grow anywhere. Um, so, not the most beautiful plant to be sat next to. This did have yellow flowers on at some point, but they've gone now. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Now, there's two things in this bit that stand out to me. Firstly, it's quite clear Elijah was afraid. Secondly, Elijah looks at his life and compares it to his ancestors. He compares it to other people. 
Elijah here is kind of starting to go around in a spiral of depression. He's starting to tell himself a story. You know, God, you came through for me once. You came through for me on Mount Carmel, but I'm not sure you're going to come through again. God, you've done miracles, and I've seen you work mightily, but I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I've got Jezebel on my back. Elijah's story was twofold. He was afraid. Yeah, he's afraid of Jezebel. He's afraid she's going to take him down. But notice how his fear turns to anxiety. He just starts to react. He's like, God, I'm so afraid I'm going to die that I want you to kill me. And this is what he says, and that's the effect of fear. That's the effect of fear that leads to anxiety. And it's the story that we can sometimes tell ourselves. God, there's no way you can move in this. God, there's no way you're going to come free. God, you must not love me enough to defeat Jezebel. I thought that was the game plan that we had, but we're not moving forward from here. Maybe you hear stories or tell yourself stories. God, I don't see you. God, I don't feel you in this. God, I don't hear you, so... God, I don't matter to you. God, you've abandoned me. These are so often the stories we can start to tell ourselves. And the second thing he says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He's comparing himself to others. Now, where did Elijah get the idea that he had to be better? Where did that come from? Very few of his ancestors saw fire rain down from heaven, but nonetheless, Elijah had it in his head he had to be better or the best. He had to be the brightest one, without failure, without flaws. Where did this idea in Elijah's head come from? Where does that idea in our head come from? I've got to be better than them. I've got to be the best. I've got to be the brightest. I've got to be the one that shines. To be the best Christian, I've got to be the best. It's what so many of us do. And Elijah starts to go down this downward spiral because he's looking at what's been. He's looking at the past. He's comparing himself to others and going, God, why? Where are you in this? God, I'm not as good looking as them, we can tell ourselves. I'm not as successful as him. I'm not where I should be at my age. I'm not as good as mum or as good as dad as that person over there. I don't have good relationships with my kids. I'm at a distance from them. And we look at everyone else, don't we? I'm not as happy. I'm not as wealthy. I'm not as successful as I think I should be. And it's the story we start to tell ourselves. We compare ourselves to others. Each one of us, we tell ourselves a story. But is the story we're telling us tr- ourselves true? If comparison was hard back in the ancient world of Elijah, think how difficult it is for us today. We live in a world where people broadcast all their successes, all their great things on social media to us. It is challenging. And it's so easy to go down that rabbit hole of comparison, isn't it? Now, there's no such thing as a normal person. You've probably heard that before, but... Because these pews are a little bit uncomfortable, and I think you might need a break, just stand up for a second and turn to the person next to yourself. 
if you don't know their name, ask them their name and tell them you are not a normal person. <laughs> You're not a normal person. <laughs> okay, fabulous. You're welcome to sit down if you want now. Um, I don't know about you, I sometimes feel like I need a little shake halfway through on these pews. <laughs> There's no such thing as a normal person. None of us are. And Paul says in Hebrews 1.12, Therefore, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for you. Comparison can entangle us. It can hold us back. It can hold us back from the things that God wants for us. And we think that we've got to run a race that's marked out for someone else. You think, well, I've got to run the race that Matt's running because that looks much better than mine. Or, oh, that Jemmy's an amazing, amazing teacher and leader. Oh, I've got to run that race. We, the sin of comparison, it can entangle us. And we feel like we've got to run the race of someone else. But God wants us to run the race that's marked out for each one of us. For you, for your situation, for your wiring, for your capabilities, for your gifting, your history, your fill-in-the-blank, whatever. Run your race, not someone else's. You don't need to compare yourself to your ancestors or to your friends or to the people around you. You're not running anyone else's race. And we all have stories that we can tell ourselves that can be toxic, that can be destructive, like tell yourself I'm not good enough, I'll never add up. We tell ourselves these stories all the time. And the question comes, what, how do we break that cycle? What do we do about that? Now, I've been doing a bit of research into psychology recently. And um, I actually thought I was quite a rational person. It turns out not so much. Um, and I think that's the case for most of us. We think that we are quite rational and we think, make decisions based on facts in our lives. But actually, all the kind of psychological research into how our brains think, I'm sure there's lots of technical terms for it. There's no psychologists here, are there? Okay, good. Um, you can correct me later if you are. Um, it actually, a lot of our decisions come from our heart, not from our head. So the first thing we need to do to help ourselves from going into that downward spiral of telling ourselves stories that aren't true is guard our hearts. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now, the uh, author of Proverbs probably was quite wise and psychologists would agree with them even today. Now they have the science to prove it. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So to be vigilant over and watch over our hearts, we need to recognize that we can't always just trust our emotions and our instinctive responses and the questions and the stories we start to tell ourselves. We need to stop them. Our hearts can deceive us and our hearts can sometimes let us down. And definitely spending time in prayer and reading God's word will help with this. But we might also want to ask ourselves some questions. Who am I comparing myself with at the moment? Where am I being proud? Where am I finding it difficult to be grateful? We need to watch our hearts and maybe even talk to ourselves or preach to ourselves 
and not always just listen to the instincts of that kind of quick response. In Psalm 42, David says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? He's asking himself a question. He's asking his heart a question. Why are you feeling like this? So when you're feeling like you're telling yourself those stories, going into those spirals, let's stop. Let's think. Let's ask ourselves a question. And know that you are loved by God. You're called by him. You're made holy. You're blessed. You're set apart in the heavens. And you might need to just preach that to yourself a little bit. So here's the other thing. So the first thing, preach to ourselves. Second thing we can do to help ourselves not go down that rabbit hole is we need to learn how to start thinking about what we're thinking about. Now, I know it sounds a bit... But it is biblical. In Romans, Paul says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Now there's the toxic narrative. Where does it lead? The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And that's why Paul then goes on to say, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Elijah gets to this point and he says to God, I'm the only one left. Which actually is a lie. It's not even true. But it feels like it's true because he's isolated. So we can go down a rabbit hole. We can compare ourselves to others. And then we can so easily allow us, our minds to take over our fleshiness, our humanness to take over and make ourselves feel like we're completely alone in this. If you read the passage, you can see he actually chose to leave his servant behind and go and isolate himself. We tell ourselves we're the only one who feels like this. But God has wired us for love. But what we often learn is fear and we start to create a distance between ourselves and others. But God has designed us to walk in intimacy with him and with each other. Now, there's an interesting juxtaposition here. So at the beginning of Elijah's life, um, God actually sent him into the wilderness. But that was a ascending into the wilderness for solitude, for strengthening. But here, it's a very different thing. Elijah's actually operating out of fear and running into the wilderness telling himself stories and trying to get isolation rather than solitude. So don't think it's not okay to be alone. It's totally okay to be alone. Sometimes God wants us to spend time resting in his presence and breathing in his spirit. But forcing yourself into isolation, closing the door on others, closing the door on God is not a good place to be. Solitude and isolation are very different things. Solitude is actually designed for intimacy with God and can lead us back into relationship with others, whereas isolation can be running in fear. We've all been forced into periods of isolation over this last year and a half, haven't we? And I don't think any of us have found it that easy. It's been so damaging for our, our mental health, our well-being, our physical activity levels. But actually, it's probably been damaging for our spiritual health too. And we might need to recognize that. 
Now, all of these things we've been talking about contribute to our mental well-being and the stories we tell, the bodies we live in, the distance that we often create. And if you're here today and you feel like you're lonely, I want to tell you that you are not alone. You're deeply and dearly loved here. And if this is your first time with us, what a week to come. Just want you to know we have big arms here and we are running to welcome you in. And we've got villages we'd love to help you get plugged into, friends we'd love to help you find. You might feel lonely, but you are dearly loved by us and by God. So please do not believe the enemy's lie about isolation is the way to get what you want. It's not. It's the exact opposite. And at church, we get the chance to be brave, don't we? To be open, to be honest and real with one another. But so often we can shy away from that and we can forget the words of the songs. So let's take a look again at that reading. Verse 5, see what happens next. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. I was kind of hoping when Jem read this to you that he might actually lie down and pretend to be asleep. I feel like we need a bit of a, a try again with that later. Now maybe at this point, Elijah expected a burning bush or a huge wind and crash, but he hears nothing, he sees nothing, and he just falls asleep. I don't know if any of you have ever fallen asleep when you're in the kind of depths of despair, but it's a heavy, heavy sleep, carrying pain, loss, desperation. So just imagine that sleep, that deep, heavy sleep. And then we continue the second part of verse 5. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Now, Elijah's here. He's totally fearful, running for his life. Ask God just to kill him anyway. And then an angel comes and touches him and says, get up and eat. I mean, really? (laughs) He's probably like, what? And he looks around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals or a camping stove we have here and some water. He eats, and then he drinks, and then he lies down again. Now, we all find ourselves at places of highs, places of lows at different points in our lives, don't we? Maybe you are on the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, which we'll come to in a moment at the moment. Maybe you're finding God for the first time and it's doing, he's doing amazing things in your life and you feel on top of the world and that's awesome. Maybe you're in the wrestling match with God. Thank God, why is this happening? What's going on? Maybe you've been faithful and then been disappointed with the outcome and find yourself in the valley. When does God show up? Well, the answer is he shows up in all of these situations. In all of it. God's here in the mountaintops, he's here in the wrestling, and he's here in the valley. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Imagine this. You're all alone. God comes to rescue you providing you with just what you need. Sometimes we expect God to show up in the fire, in the thunder, in the wind, in the mighty things. We pray for something and we just hope it's going to happen. 
And it just doesn't happen how we hope or how we expect. He turns up with an angel who provides some bread and some water. Just what he needs. Elijah's crying out hopeless, but God provides the hope. No matter how far we fall, God never leaves us. If God was there in Elijah's whispering, trembling prayer here, just, God, just take my life. He's there in all the highs and lows of our lives. He's always there waiting for us to speak to him, waiting for us to reach out. Now, I would say prayer is our greatest need today. Whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, it's our greatest need. Maybe we're worried. Maybe we're anxious. Maybe you're trying to rebuild your life after the pandemic. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're facing the complexity of everything that's going on in your life at this time. Whatever it is, the key response is prayer. Whatever we face, whatever we need to do in today or tomorrow, the key response is prayer. And if you're facing trouble, prayer isn't a nice to have, it's your desperate need. So what if the most significant thing you did with your whole life wasn't a task you completed, but a prayer you whispered? How's the bread going? Wonderful. Oh, we have a selection of bread, we? So we are actually um, going to prepare to eat and prepare to taste the provision of God in our lives. When God provided the bread and the water, I'm not going to give you all water. Um, it's wonderful. And God provided the bread. He provided just what Elijah needed. And I know that God wants to provide each of you with just what you need today. He's our provider and he gives us what we need, wherever we find ourselves. Whether we're in the mountaintop, the wrestling, or the valley. Wherever we find ourselves, he provides just what we need. And I think that God today wants to bring healing. I think he wants to provide us with our greatest needs. And we just need to come to him. Need to know he's there during every high and every low. And Amy and the team are going to come up. And um, as they lead us in a song about God just being the absolute almighty, we're going to bring round uh, the bread. If you'd like to take a piece, use it as a symbol of God providing for you. And as we listen to them, you might just want to listen, just close your eyes and listen. Just rest in God's presence and allow God to meet with you. If you need to cry out to him, you can cry out. If you need to move, you can move. If you need to kneel, you can kneel or stand. You don't have to worry about what you're doing here. Just allow God to do his stuff. Maybe you've been comparing yourself to others. Maybe God's prompting you to let go of this. Maybe you have struggled with mental health and not brought it to God. Maybe you have fears or anxieties. Maybe you need to lie on your pew and just rest. Sleep in God's presence, asking him to help you. Maybe you're on a mountaintop and seeing God so clearly. Wherever you are, 
Just bring yourself to him. Surrender yourself. For he is faithful, he is good, and no one is like him. So what if the most significant thing you did with your life wasn't a task you completed, but a prayer you whispered? Thank you for listening. We hope this time blessed you. Hit the subscribe button to hear more like this. And to find out more about Telford Minster, follow us at Telford Minster on Instagram and Facebook or go to telfordminster.org.uk.